0: Ron Shake is the founder of iconic brands like Obon Pen and Panera Bread, investor in food brands such as Kava and Tate, and now author of the book, Know What Matters. In this conversation, Ron and I discuss how to build iconic brands, why ubiquity can breed contempt, and what founders should consider before taking their companies public. It was a conversation filled with practical takeaways you can apply to your life today. I hope you enjoy. Ron, welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you, Polina. It's good to speak to you.
0: Good to see you again. Um, Okay, so I want to start with, few people may know that your entrepreneurial journey kind of started with a cookie store, um, and you weren't exactly the type of guy who thought you could ever be interested in business. So can you tell me about uh, how you became an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really was much more driven to help change the world. That was the fuel of my change the wife.
0: world in what way? Um, they have an impact
1: um, mm-hmm. to make this a better place. I grew up in the anti-war movement, um, the time of social change. <clears throat> and I thought people who were making a difference in the world um, were the people that were part of that change. And I wanted to be a part of it. I, I got to, 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 to college and um, I was treasurer of the student body, tossed mm-hmm. out of a local convenience store. I walked back and said, you know what? What are we putting up with this nonsense for? Let's open our own nonprofit convenience store.
0: And you and were tossed out because they thought you were shoplifting?
1: Hard to believe, yes. And <laughs> ironically, I ended up on the board of that company 10 oh, years sorry. later. But, but yes, they threw us out. And it was just a heavy security presence. And I came back and I said, we're going to open our own nonprofit um, uh, convenience store. And and it was, we, I taxed the student body $60,000. There was mm-hmm. nobody to run it, so I decided to run it. I took the summer, built it. All I can tell you is for, for a kid from New Jersey who can't dance or sing, it was the most creative thing I ever did in my life. It was like live performance art, and, and I loved it. I loved that creative process of, of figuring out how to get that store open. I loved the mm-hmm. process of running the store. I loved the process of hiring, and it set off a, 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 a challenge in my life of what am I gonna do? Um, mm. am I gonna do business or are you gonna do politics? And over the next five to ten years, that, that got pulled apart. And what I what I came to conclude, Polina, and 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 I think it's it's very interesting, is all roads lead to the same place. Everybody obsesses on well, what's the path one should take? Should I take a business path, a political path? Um, and in in reality, when I was doing Business, I always thought of it in a political context, the sense that yeah. a business is a small society. And it's one place where the leader gets to influence that society and define it. Tax policy is equivalent to compensation. What do you mm-hmm. reward? What don't you? Um, you know, why does one system work better than the other? I know you come from Bulgaria, your family mm-hmm. in Britain. What, what was it about that process? Um And what was it about Bulgaria and how that system worked versus another? On the other hand, I can also tell you that 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 when I did, um, frankly, politics, I was always the business. I was always the strategist. And so my life played out. I did the general store. Uh, I got an opportunity to go to the Harvard Business School. I went because they didn't accept me as an undergraduate. Uh, I came out of there. I looked at doing political campaigns, went to D.C. and ran. Um, uh, a political consulting firm uh, worked in it, and um, I also helped a number of organizations go into business, mass fair share. I helped them raise money. On the other hand, I had this opportunity to open um, a, 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 a cookie store. I had worked in mm-hmm. in, 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 in the cookie business, and, and I couldn't lease a space for a cookie store. And somebody called me and said, you know, uh, I have a jewelry store. Inflation is roaring. It was 20% in 1980. and oh, wow. Hard to believe, imagine those days, but inflation was 20%. We want to consolidate our inventory, the jewelry. Would you like to lease our 400-square-foot store? And nobody would lease me space for, for two years. And I, I, I chose to lease that space. And I created a cookie store, that 400-square-foot cookie store. Six months later, I merged with another company called Au Bon Pain. Au yes. Bon Pain became my... Licensee, I, I became their licensee. Excuse me. I became. Wait, and can licensee.
0: you share how much you? Oh, because you merged. You didn't buy it outright.
1: Well, what 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 occurred was, I they were supplying. Uh, about six months into running my cookie store, I had fifty thousand people a day going by before twelve noon, but nobody bought okay. cookies, right? Mm. You know, and and so I decided to put in another product. I put in French baked goods. I became their licensee. I had a right to use their name and they provided the product. As an operator, any operator knows which of their vendors are any good. The reality is that these guys were utterly out of control. Sometimes they delivered, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they billed me, sometimes they didn't. To this day, I'm sure I still owe them money. Um, They were that, that far out of control. And I thought to myself, this is a powerful opportunity to take what I had learned I had worked for a chain of cookie stores for a year after business school to take what I'd learned in the cookie store business and apply it to French bakery. And that mm. led to putting these two companies together. Myself, we 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 essentially merged them, my one store, their three. I got 60% of the company. And my partner, Lou Kane, who had run Aubon pen he and his investors received 40% of the company. That company. Which we formed in 1981 was the company we sold in nineteen in 2017 for seven and a half billion dollars to J. B. Same company wow. through multiple transformations.
0: It all started with a cookie though.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: That's cookie. amazing. So okay, so take us to um I in your book, you talk about this really cool concept. You said that when you were conceiving what you wanted Panera Bread to be, you had this thing you called a concept essence, which is an emotional blueprint for a company's competitive DNA. Explain that a little bit more and how you used it to design what Panera became, but also every transformation of the business.
1: Yeah, well, I think it starts with an understanding that what matters most in a business is literally being a better competitive alternative. What does that mean in simple terms? It means having customers that are your target, that are willing to walk past your competitors, past all those other places on the block and come to you. If you can get people to choose you, some people to choose you because you're a better alternative for them, the restaurant industry is dirt farming. It's a terrible industry. You get your market share. It's really hard. You don't make any money. If you can create something special enough, then you, in the end, have a a, a viable business. And value creation, that is to say economic return, is a byproduct. It's not an end. It's a byproduct of being a better competitive alternative. So what a concept essence document is, is a very clear blueprint for how you're going to market. What is the theatrical production you're putting on? what is the elements of it and how is it from the eyes of the customer they're going to experience it you know i've worked in i've run um, massive organizations uh, with over a hundred thousand employees and organizations in which thousands of people are working on 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 elements of the concept if there isn't clarity of what we're trying to accomplish there's a reversion to the mean and Mm -hmm. what so what a concept essence document defines is what are we trying to do in terms of a food what are we trying to do in terms of the attitude of that food how does design tie into it what do we want people to feel when they walk into our establishment Mm. um what is the 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 human element of it how do we want people to feel about our people our customers, how do they want? What what is it we want our 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 team members to give off? What is it um, in terms of of the overarching aesthetic, or or or, yeah. or the voice, or the soul? And the reality is, every brand, and particularly in a in a retail sense, has a personality. So mm. what this is is an opportunity to define the personality. That we want this to um, live into, and what it allows if we do it with real clarity. You know, you you're, you're a wordsmith. Uh, you know, writing a concept of essence is about getting the right words. If mm-hmm. the words are cliches and they don't cut, nobody knows which direction to go. So we use the concept essence for as is as a north star. Um, you know, I often I often think about it when when over the years these businesses meander and they revert to the mean. And what the concept essence does, that North Star, it's typically done and it will last for a decade or two. It's how we want to be seen and most importantly, emotionally felt by our target customer.
0: It's so interesting because as a customer, when I think of the my favorite places to go, I don't think about you know, what type of food necessarily is served or what the CEO wants me to think. It's more about like, how do I feel when I'm there? But it's, that's such a hard thing to define. I, I, you just said like, how do we want people to feel? Um, When I was talking to Danny Meyer, he also said something like, if you can't scale a feeling, we'll never be able to build something meaningful. But, but how do you scale well a, a feeling? Like that's such a mushy thing. Like, how can you do that?
1: Well, I can't I can't scale your feeling. What yeah. I can scale is the stimulus I put out to you that allows you to feel something. So at the core, if you think about Panera and you ultimately think about Fast Casual, which right. Panera became the poster child for in this this ideology, what we were really selling in Panera was a sense of your own self esteem. You know, before Panera came along, before Starbucks came along. The prevailing um, motif in, in, in restaurants was, was fast food, either yeah. in an independent restaurant or fast food. What was fast food selling at the emotional level? Essentially, a lot of food for not a lot of money. It was, it was uh, I used to call it a, efficiency. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but, but it's almost, a, it, was, it was like a self-service gasoline station for the human body. It's four o'clock. How do I most quickly inject nutrition? into my, my arms, you know? I mean, basically it was nutritional cocaine, right? right? I'm hungry, I'm starving, let me eat. It wasn't an experience that elevated, elevated me or made me feel good. And what we discovered in the early 90s, what became pretty clear to me, listening to the customers with empathy, trying to really hear was that probably one out of three customers walked into fast food and they felt depleted by the experience and they didn't feel good about themselves in it and we began to say let's change the currency what's the currency we want you to feel better about yourself when you came in there which then meant we had to have environments that engaged you food that that you respected people that respected you and you felt good with and ultimately that that elevated your sense of 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 self when you were there and so again to to the point you raise i can't generate your i can't manage your feeling but i can do the things that induce you to feel certain things and my job is to figure out what those needs are for you what mm-hmm. those jobs you want you want met and to do it again when, when panera emerged you know there were no you know there were very few alternatives that, that that served you food you felt good about that respected you and got you in and out
0: mm-hmm. and
1: there was a huge market for it but but nobody wanted to acknowledge it and, 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 and we could see it and feel it. And the question was, how do we scale that?
0: Yeah. And, and going off of exactly this, um, another concept that I wrote down from your book is, um, you call this phenomenon, a drive for specialness. Uh, and you talk about how it became one of the most popular trends, um, for the modern consumer. So for example, if you grew up in the sixties and seventies, uh, you know, places like McDonald's made you feel really special. I grew up in Bulgaria and McDonald's was this like American phenomenon. I had my birthday there. Like it was a nice oh, yeah. place. Yeah. Oh, I so
1: remember we... going to the first McDonald's in Pushkin Square in, in Moscow. First one in Russia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When, when when it first opened up, there was seating for hundreds. There were thousands Clean. of people in line. Yeah. It was a cultural <laughs> phenomenon.
0: It was, it was incredible. and And my dad was obsessed with America. So this was like the yeah. most special thing we could do. um But then when we moved to Atlanta and I went to a McDonald's, I was like, this is not the same feeling at all. <laughs> right.
1: um
0: So, so for
1: well, one, one, one element to that, if I may interrupt yeah, you, yeah, of course, is ubiquity breeds contempt. So mm-hmm. when, when, when McDonald's showed up in, in Bulgaria, it was a huge deal, right? Special. But when there is a McDonald's on, 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 every corner it's not very Mm -hmm. special and frankly no longer represents american culture as it did to you as a young bulgarian Mm -hmm. it it, you know and and so your feelings are different but you're getting to the very core of of this which is which is helping people creating the kind of 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 experiences both with humanity you know this is theater and and it's 3D live performance theater, and and we're casting people into it. We're 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 using food as sort of the props, and we're giving people a a, a set of stimuli or, or or such that they have a set of experiences. And not the least of which, in in many of our modern establishments today, what we're trying to build it at Act Three is we're creating environments people want to sit and socialize, connect.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: humanity. But 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 at any rate, Guy, I'm sorry.
0: No no, it's so interesting how it's like kind of all cyclical. It's like, you know, first people wanted to linger, then they wanted to get in their dr- uh, car and drive through and just not be in the restaurant at all. Now it's like a comeback to like I want to linger. I want to enjoy time with my friends in person. It's yeah. so fascinating. The, the,
1: the one thing I would say is, and and you asked me about the drive for specialness. Yeah, one of the most important searches that that I have always been on is 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 trying to listen to. And read the consumer and try to figure out mm-hmm. today what's going to matter tomorrow. And and what I'm always looking for is how do I separate the, the wheat from the chaff? How do I sig- separate the signal from the noise? What is the deeper trends that are playing out over, over a decade or multiple decades? Not what is Hot and fashionable today, that will be gone tomorrow. And I think you're probably trying to understand what's the the through point um, in 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 everything you write. You know, you're trying to understand what's the deeper trend. And what we discovered in the early '90s was a powerful, powerful trend that was the the that that actually led to fast casual.
0: Mm-hmm. Ultimately,
1: post World War II, all products in America, pre World War II, all products in America were made locally. Post World War II american corporate america took off and between the, the 1950s and the early 90s every major consumer category was consolidated there was usually one two or three brands that had 90 90%, 90 90% or more market share collectively and they competed based on advertising dollars and shelf space that was the nature by the early 90s people began to wake up in america and say my god everything's the same i want to feel special in a world yeah. that isn't special, and you began to see it play out in categories. You saw it in coffee, and I was in coffee, you saw it with Folgers and Maxwell House, and you began to see that lent itself to specialty coffee, to Pete's. You saw it mm-hmm. with, um, with beer, and I a Bush and Miller, good friend of mine in Boston, Jim Cook, created Samuel Adams. It was a reaction. To, to, to these mass marketed beers. He was doing it the way his grandparents did it in a local brewery, no chemicals, doing it right. You saw the the, the, the same phenomenon in beverages, Coke and Pepsi dominated. They lent themselves to a Waldo, to Snapple, and to the total um, uh, disaggregation of beverages where you have fragmentation, three or 400 different beverages in, in a 7-Eleven in today. This was, people were waking up and they wanted to feel special, in a world in which, frankly, everything was the same. Same things apply to the restaurant industry. In 92 and 93, we looked around, saw this deeper trend and said, my God, this is gonna happen in restaurants. You know, essentially people are gonna wanna feel special in a world in which the only alternatives are fine dining and fast food. And what we set out to generate was ultimately a specialty restaurant. If there was specialty beer, specialty coffee, If there was specialty drinks, we were going to do specialty food, food that elevated you, that elevated your sense of self-esteem, that actually made you feel better. We then applied the same principles to a bakery. Bakery business, same thing happened. All bread had once been local. Post-World War II, it was morphed into three loaves for 99 cents at, at Kroger or Stop and Shop. And by the early 90s, people began to wake up and say, you know, I could do this like my grandparents do it. No chemicals, no preservatives done right. And you began to see the growth of artisan bread, Acme and Grace out in the West Coast. And we began to say, wow, if there's going to be specialty bread, and that is a powerful platform, a powerful point of authority to do what we would call a specialty restaurant. And at the core, Panera was created as that ideologically. And then we applied that through a concept essence document. How does that take form? And we spent a year Wordsmith than that. Trying to get clear, what did it mean? Um, you know, it began with, uh, you know, our bread is our passion, soul, and expertise. The food mm-hmm. has to be as good as the bread. Um, we are in the business of, of 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 bringing people together. We're in the business of, of 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 creating those kinds of environments. We're in the business of helping people understand what 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 craft bread can do for 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 their lives. These are the kinds of 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 intentions we had within concept essence, and then we tried to define what that meant. An example for it, right? We wanted to have an environment that that you that I used to refer to as visual candy. Wherever you sat, you were engaged, you know. And this was antithetical to what was present in fast food, where they were using you know formica, bolting the chairs down to the floor, um, and and basically. <laughs> You know, I mean, clothing their team members in paper hats. The team members in fast food were simply extensions of the cash register,
0: right. and so we
1: were going to be the antithesis to that specialty restaurant based on specialty bread.
0: Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. I um, I the thing that I noticed in your book is that you're very, very good at observing. Uh, people and noticing their patterns, which is, you know, you were at Panera, you saw that after people I, I'm, were done... I'm moving
1: into your job, Polina.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, it's the
1: same thing, isn't it?
0: It really is. It really yes. is because it's like you study people and if you study people, you notice patterns, which then leads to ideas. Um, but fun fact for everybody, Ron, I recently found out has been a longtime profile subscriber, which I appreciate.
1: One <laughs> of the original ones. One of the
0: originals. Left? Yes. <laughs> Um, so, so, okay, so you were at Panera and you saw people, okay, we're done with our meal, and we're still lingering and either talking with coworkers or or moms or meeting with other moms. They just wanted a place to linger. Um as the CEO of a growing company, how do you make sure that you spend your time on like the high level, high impact, thorny problems while also staying close to the action on the ground? Um uh, and and in being involved in the day to day, like when I was when I was thinking about that, is isn't that nearly impossible? Can don't you just have to pick one or the other?
1: Not at all. So so before we answer, that, I want to go back to something else you yeah. said, and and I think it's really important. A lot of what you do with the profile is you study people
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: choices they make and why, and you then essentially elevate that to generalizations. Um, that either you make or your readers can make that have broader applicability. To me, that's actually what we in business do all the time. It's trying to read and actually not read. It's trying to listen to, intensely listen to, walk in the shoes of our target customers and trying to extract from that what is the job they want done. they want they want to hire somebody for and then extract from that the generalizations about what's going to matter tomorrow and most importantly tomorrow and that's really the process of discovering today what's going to matter tomorrow and often you can you can you can look at other industries and transfer from that other industry the generalization and use it within your business or industry i think the same thing occurs in life i mean we look at other people's lives and their their both their successes and their mistakes and we can then use those to extract generalizations that we can transfer over into our own experiences I, in our own life
0: you summed so, up the profile perfectly <laughs> yeah i mean that's, i think we share that and yeah. i think
1: that's we share that as as i do as a business leader the most important part is to understand that because if i don't and by the way i think that's also the part about learning about to the best of our ability, how to have a successful life, to, to try to figure out what, what, what works and what doesn't. So, so you asked me a question, you know, how do you, you find time to do that, to listen, mm-hmm. and at the same time deal with these larger issues? And I guess I would say to you that they are both fundamental to the leadership of an organization. I don't care whether you're the president of the United States or you're running a a, a three employee um, dry cleaner around the corner. If you don't start with empathically listening and understanding what people are hiring you for, what they want from you, if you don't understand that, you're not going to be able to get it done. If you're the president of the United States, what is it that 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 your voters, your target consumer, you know, what is it? that that they want from their leadership what is it you know that that you know i think it's 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 one of the challenges in this country with our division but, but but what is it we want our our leaders to fulfill and and on the other hand once you you've gone through that process of empathetic listening as the leader you've got to decide what fundamental bet you're making that are really going to matter. Let me see if I can share with you by way of yeah. a story and use politics. Yeah, I would love that. Look at look at the presidents of the United States. They they're 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 active 18 hours a day, but in the end they get remembered for one, two or three things. You can think back to to to, to Bush in 9-11, his reaction to that. You can you can march forward and you can look at at, at Obama and and Obamacare. You can you can think about Trump and and maybe it's COVID, maybe it's January sixth. You think about um, Biden. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be Afghanistan. Maybe it will be um, Biden economics. But but it's the same in a company. What are the two or three or four things that are going to matter five years from now and ten years from now? Hmm. And what is it you have to get right? Which is why I opened this book with a powerful lesson that I learned. I watched my parents both pass away. And in watching mm-hmm. them both pass away 25 and 30 years ago, I realized that there is a judgment day. If you have chronic illness, you go through a review of your life and you start to step back and say, you know, I, I, I really respect this about myself. I don't respect that. And and, and in watching my parents go through that, I, I began to say to myself, the time to do that is not on your deathbed, not in the ninth inning with two outs, but in the seventh inning, the fifth inning, and the third inning. And for me, that led me to begin to do that. And I would sit down every Christmas week and literally begin to ask myself questions. How do I feel in relationship with with my, um, with my body, with my health? How do I feel, where do I wanna be in relationship with my body and my health in five years? Where do I wanna be in relationship um, um, with my work? and 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 what i'm doing where do i want to be in my in my primary relationships with my family where do i want to be in my spiritual relationship and i would literally write down the 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 goal for 5 years out almost the headlines that would be hmm. in that story that i would write about myself 5 years from now somebody else might write in the new york times or something about what this guy did i then would break that up into okay how do i get there and i'd break it up into annual um initiatives to get to that place i wanted to get to and then literally quarterly projects and what's so interesting to me i took that lesson from life because i've been doing that for 30 years just that process forward where do i want to be in five years and then breaking it up into how i'm going to get there that's how i run a business and so when you ask me the question how do you stay focused on what matters it's from that process and not become what we don't wanna do. What we do wanna do is listen and then understand what really matters and focus our time, our treasure, our talent, all of our resources on those few things we said really matter that we're gonna judge ourselves on, the world's gonna judge us on in three years, five and 10. So I'm very long-term focused in terms of what matters, I'm also trying to stay very close to 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 listening. And relative to listening, I want to add something else. I would spend, I still do, I'd spend, I don't know, 30, 40% of my time in my restaurants talking to customers, talking to people that were team members. And you know, when 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 the CEO of a, of a hundred thousand employee comes in, everybody gets excited and yeah. you know. You know it's a whole ceremonial thing and and i often would want to go where people didn't where couldn't didn't know who i was or slip in and and but most importantly it wasn't undercover boss it was something different i was there not to check up on on my team members and not to check up on my stores i was there to check up on myself because mm-hmm. when i went into a restaurant i was trying to figure out how did we impact our people at the front lines? How did all these initiatives we had within the company impact our customer? And so that was the process that we were really focused on.
0: And I, I kind of love that because it's a it's a um, concept essence for everything in your life. It's not yes. just business; you can apply it to your personal life too. Yeah, I um, think we,
1: we would call it a premortem, pre Premortem. Yes. And so instead of doing a postmortem at at the end, right. right, your You know, you're basically writing what you want your your eulogy to to be your obituary. What do you what do you want the headlines to be when they write the article about the success of of the profile, when Mm -hmm. they write the article about the success of your business, when they write the article about the success of your life? What are the elements of it you want? In five and 10 years to be there. And then, how are you going to get there? And then organize everything around that, as opposed to being reactive, which is what I see in so many people. They are simply yeah. reacting to the stimuli coming at them and the pressures they have. And, you know, I often see in our industry, my competitors are all looking sideways mm-hmm. and they're all following what everybody else does. I want to look at them and say, no, you're looking at the wrong direction. Look forward and figure out what you need to be who you need to be to accomplish what you want.
0: Yeah, ooh, that's good. Um, At one point in your journey, though, I remember you talking about how there was a point where your personal life was kind of, there was a lot of chaos and turbulence to the point where you were hoping the board would just oust you from the company. That's That's such a bold admission, by the way. I was like, I can't believe you just wrote that. But even in the face of that, You said that you still went to work every day and you were still able to motivate your team and motivate yourself. How?
1: I I think there's a couple of things to it. First, the way I motivated myself, I would say, is rooted in responsibility. Leadership is responsibility. Real leadership is responsibility. And what most impacted me is the fact that I had Hundred and twenty-five thousand people counting on me. Mm. I had thousands of management personnel who I would get up in front of, and I would say, "We're going that way," and I sure hope we were right because their mortgages, their kids' college educations, all the things that mattered in their lives, we're we're counting on it. I had five, six, seven billion dollars of investor capital. I had a a a vision um, that that for 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 creating an experience in communities all over America. And I guess the the core of it is I felt this sense of responsibility to deliver on what I said, to get us there, to get them there. And I, I think that, you know, the dirty little secret of leadership is nobody really knows what's true or what's going to happen. But at some point, you have to get up and help guide people you have to get up and say to people okay we're going this way and why and i i i i've often thought that the role of a ceo political leader or a business leader is more akin to a parish priest and by that i mean that a, a role we play is 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 trying to create meaning helping people understand where we're coming from where we are at this moment in time and then based on the choices they make where we will end up, and trying to paint um, a, a longitudinal picture for them um, that, that helps inform what's going on. And, and, and I, I, I want you to, to know this. Um, you know, you talk about the pain of leadership. It's one of the things I wanted to talk about in this book, because anybody who tells you it's not true doesn't understand. Um, even when you, you believe you're doing the right thing, there's still the pressure of time. And, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I I used to think about a, a quote I believe it's from Vince Lombardi.
0: Yeah. He said,
1: you know, he he never lost a game. He just ran out of time. What I most feared is I wouldn't have enough time to do what I knew was the right thing. But 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 I can remember in the in the in in the around 2015 when I was going through the the. Uh, the fourth transformation i speak about in this book and the most you know the the probably the largest transformation of a large public restaurant company in america when we transformed panera based on digital and loyalty and omni channel and clean food and and i had activists attacking me and there was huge pressure and i you know and 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 things weren't always going right and i can remember literally getting out, I live in Boston on Starro Drive, and thinking to myself, my God, it'd be just easier if I got hit by a, a truck. Not wow. that I wanted to die. It's not a suicide wish. It was a sense of the overwhelming sense of responsibility. I felt to all these other people, to all these constituents who were betting on me. And I mm-hmm. wanted to salute and support those folks. That's the pressure, that pressure that I wanted to deliver um for the for the for the good people that actually cared to to believe in me in a world where nothing was actually certain. I wanted to them I wanted them to be validated um, by my by what we were able to do with the company. But in the end, yeah. I, I think a lot of how we deal with pain, and and i'll I'll share with you something. i'm I'm turning seventy this year. No. I believe by the time you get to sixty, every one of us gets knee, knee, kneecapped in some way. You don't get through life without real challenges and real pain. And the question is not avoiding pain and avoiding tough things. The challenge is how you deal with it. And And one of the stories I talk about in this book, when I talk about pain, is when I was going through the toughest moments in 15 with activists attacking me, people leaving, nobody, you know, number of people not believing in the vision, um, and trying to present, you know, the transformation vision. Um, I can remember one day when my CFO quit on uh, two weeks' notice. He, you know, wasn't uh, earning what he thought he should make in his bonus, and it just whacked me in, 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 in like like a punch in the stomach. And I'd had a tough, tough day. And my, six o'clock at night, my family was vacationing up in Manchester, Massachusetts and my daughter emma calls me and says dad would you come up tonight and put me to bed and i couldn't have been more exhausted polina and and my first reaction is emma i can't do it tonight i'm just beat and then she said daddy please
0: yeah and I, man, she said
1: <laughs> i i had a really tough day and i decided okay i'll go up there and with traffic it took me an hour and a half i got up there about 8 30 and i laid down in bed with her she started telling me about her day and again i had had a horrible day but i'm not telling her about that
0: right <laughs>
1: right and she says to me goes through it and and as she's falling asleep i say emma if you lay down right you're going to go to sleep relax you're going to wake up tomorrow the sun is going to be shining and you get up you know and and and, and you're going to feel different it's a whole new day
0: and mm-hmm. you just
1: you just have to go through it and and i can remember driving back that night because i drove back to Boston. And I realized the person I was talking to was not just Emma, it was myself. That mm. you just have to put one step forward. You know, at some point it does change. You just have to stay focused on what you're going to respect and stay focused on doing it and make the right trade-offs along the way.
0: Yeah. My dad used to tell me the morning is wiser than the night. Like whatever you're worried about at night, just wait till the morning. <laughs> I love I love um, that. Yeah. So one of my favorite lines from your book is um, conserve in a boom, build in a bust. Yes, And it, it's fascinating because 2008, kind of the depths of the financial crisis somehow ended up being one of Panera's better or best years. Um, in better which the company, best
1: stores ever built, yep.
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, the company met or exceeded its earning targets each quarter of that year. Um, so h- how on earth did that happen? And did you go into it thinking that or was it more of a rear view oh we we built in a time where everybody else was like freezing
1: well so i i have to start just the facts you know during the recession we drove mid single digit comps our ebitda was up strongly our stock was up strongly um, uh, through that process and 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 i guess the roots of it is what i would i would i would suggest is a very contrarian nature how I think. If everybody's going one way, I want to challenge that and say, why? Maybe there's a better path. And I don't want to get trampled by the elephants in the herd. So I'm always looking for that. And I can tell you that industry as life is filled with people that are reacting to what everybody's saying today. And the trick is to get above that and figure out where you're trying to get to tomorrow. Mm. And so that's the nature of a contrarian. And so in the boom days, pre the Great Recession, 08, 09, right? In the boom days, everybody couldn't spend enough money. They were, they were borrowing money, levering up, taking risk, chasing very expensive real estate deals, growth, growth, growth. At that point, I said, this is crazy. Why do I want to take that kind of financial risk on? God forbid there's ever a problem. And why do I want to chase every last dollar? I want to conserve resources. Because I want to make sure if there's ever an opportunity, I can then move in in, a, in an aggressive way. When mm-hmm. the recession hit, frankly, I saw it as a powerful opportunity. At that point, all of my competitors were running around public companies and, and, and their sales were declining. They're flattening out and they were ripping costs out of the P&L. And I thought to myself, wow, right? This is a great opportunity to build competitive advantage. If they're ripping costs out of the p l the only way to do it is by diminishing the guest experience that means longer lines dirtier tables less happy and more frazzled team members that was a point where we said we're going to put more money into the guest experience more labor into the stores and we found that we were competitively better and what we then found was that our our sales our same store sales went up similarly mm-hmm. right, if if during the boom days we had slowed down the growth because everything was very expensive and crazy. When the recession hit, we still had a great concept. At that point, I did exactly the opposite. I increased the growth rate. rate. I think we went up 150 to 200% in our growth rate. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally, real estate costs came down because real estate is is priced on a spot market basis, but it can last for for 15 years. Our real estate costs came down. Development costs came down. Opportunities went up. We increased materially the growth rate, and those stores we built during those times were the highest return on investment stores ever built in the company. The key is, understand the context. I yeah. cannot a very interesting point,, Lena. people you know often ask me, as a public company CEO, I ran it for 27 years, you know, how do you respond to, to, re, to inflation? How do you respond to recession? How are you going to respond to this change in the law? My answer. Is typically I I I I'm not gonna control those things. Right. What I can control is my reaction. And I know my job is to figure out a better adaptation to whatever's happening than my competitors. So my job is not to somehow understand or infer what 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 the marketplace or the world is doing, it is to understand how to build a better competitive alternative and do a better job for my guests. When that happens. The byproduct always is a, a yeah. is value creation.
0: It's fascinating how constraint almost always breeds creativity, whether you like it or not. Well, um, I think
1: it's true in every organization, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, right. Too much resources makes it too easy, um, and we don't make the hard choices. And we, as yeah. humans, by our nature, procrastinate and put off the hard decisions. And in 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 some ways, what I tried to do. And what I'm trying to do in all of our investments today is build large companies that think like a small company, not small companies that think and act like a big company um, and 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 bring to it all the the detriments of of that kind of um, invincibility
0: and And I want to talk about just briefly about one of those companies. You're a very, very early backer of Kava, which went public this summer when everybody else said, Oh no, we're not gonna go public. This is a horrible market. Kava still did. Yes. And it went well. So why did it go public then? And what are some questions that you recommend startup founders or or founders that are thinking about going public should ask themselves before making that decision?
1: Yes. So so going public was great for Kava because Kava was right to be a public company. Mm. Kava first and foremost is a it exists in a powerful um niche mediterranean mediterranean could be the you know the next mexican it may be the i've been the saying
0: most, that for years ron so i we, serious. you should have invested
1: <laughs> i mean i really i i literally i when i made that first investment eight years ago and when i when i when i uh, i'll tell you the story in a second how i yeah. got very involved and became the chairman of kava when I, I led their acquisition of Zoe's. But but it's a powerful, powerful category in the restaurant industry, a specialty niche. Kava has been built to be the best and dominant and most attractive brand, the best competitive alternative in that niche. So yeah. it's very clear we can see our path to a thousand or more restaurants. You need to have that to be a strong public company. If you don't have growth and you don't have that avenue of that, The market will will be very unhappy. The market doesn't pay for today's earnings. The market is essentially paying for its perception of your future earnings. In addition, this company was prepared to be public. We have a great CEO and Brett Schulman, a superb um, CFO. Um, They had spent a a year and a half. We spent with them preparing for what it meant to run a public company. We were running quarterly earnings calls. Mm -hmm. They understood how to deal with and deliver for the public market in a way in which consistency mattered. I think as much as anything, we also seeded it with some of the best long-term investors in in, in the country, ourselves and our other uh, lead investor, Invis. um, I think we control 40% of the company. We're here for the long-term. We're here with this management team for the long-term. In addition, we brought in um, Cornerstone investors, like T. Rowe Price, who had been in, mm-hmm. who I had brought in earlier, uh, who I knew very intimately, we had helped them make billions of dollars. <clears throat> we brought in Capri, which is the America's Fund, again as cornerstone investors. So almost all of the original shareholders, when this company went public, were very long-term in nature, mm-hmm. and so we built the base of a successful public company. And Kava has, um, uh, we, we're highly confident. Kava is set up to deliver and deliver well for the foreseeable future. Now I compare that to to many companies that go public. Mm -hmm. Here's the reality: if you you'll see in the book because I speak to it, ninety percent of CEOs who take a company public live to regret it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because they 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 aren't ready to be public. They don't understand. They don't have the makings of a public company, and the market is brutal. And we'll chew them up alive. And if they don't understand the name of the game, which is to essentially, um, you know, um, project reasonably and then deliver it or over deliver it, they lose. And mm-hmm. it's about that consistency and that trust. And so, ninety percent of CEOs live to regret it. Kava, I believe, is going to be one of those few. In which um, going public was the appropriate thing for it at that time.
0: And as someone who has built or helped build too, um some of the most iconic brands in the food industry, what is according to Ron the next multi-billion-dollar food brand?
1: Well, it's going to be one of the ones that we own, right? <laughs> right? I mean, we think you know, Kava's, you know, has got the potential to be one of the great companies in this industry. We also own, um, a concept called life alive. It's planned. It's positive eating, mm. mostly planned forward.
0: You think um, plant forward is kind of the next well, I can tell dominant.
1: You, well, I, I, I don't know if it's dumb, but it's a powerful niche. I can tell yeah. you that three to 4% of America is vegetarian, but 40% of Americans want to eat less meat. This is great food, phenomenal food that you feel good about eating. Mm-hmm. And 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 there is somebody who's going to own that category, and we've got a brand with now ten restaurants that's producing very high volumes that we think has got that cap, that criteria. Here's another one that we're involved in TATE. It's okay. in Boston and, and DC. It's thirty eight restaurants, huge volumes. Um, um, I mean, I love this thing. It it's it's a it's a cafe and a bakery, but it has authority. Um, as third wave coffee we're doing more than the coffee stores on the corner Mm -hmm. it's got authority in its bakery its bakery is all unique it comes out of a israeli lebanese turkish kind of attitude and then we have chefs in every one of these cafes and we're Mm -hmm. doing real food for breakfast and lunch and light evenings really interesting food all from that kind of mediterranean or 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 um um again israeli lebanese turkish kind of attitude and it's yeah. interesting and then we're doing it in an aesthetic um that's 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 wonderful you want to sit there the the creator the original founder of this a woman named Zerid or um is is what is, is is powerful in her ability to create that kind of environment and and so this is something powerful but what is it it's a more upscale, um, real cafe with a powerful bakery and coffee, yeah. and 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 we see you know we see great success for that. And then I've got another thing I'm I'm playing with immersive entertainment, in which we are we have something called Level Ninety Nine, which I, I I was I've never done a startup in forty years. I met a guy who wanted to to create this Matt DePlessy, who um had 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 been in this industry for 25 years it's 40,000 square feet it's 40 or 50 challenges some mental some physical combined with a a farm to table restaurant and a a brewery um around the number two or three craft beer in in new england Um, i have never seen anything like the phenomenon of of this when on Saturday night, the number of people that are that are intrigued by this, and so these are the kinds of things: immersive entertainment, a Mediterranean bakery cafe, um, positive eating, um, uh, uh, Mediterranean fast casual. These yeah. are all powerful niches, and our investment thesis, and in, 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 Polina is essentially yeah. we're investing in these large niche, niches that we know. 5 years from now and 10 we'll have tailwinds at their back and then we're working to build the dominant brand in those niches and we take a you know we take a very large stake in it we ensure that that the companies we invest in never again have to raise money that seems mm-hmm. like a waste of time we provide all the capital resources and then we provide the strategic and and we, we provide a number of the resources if they want it To help them scale real estate strategic services uh off-premises um we have a large technology function and we let them pull those resources down and that enables them to focus on what really matters where value is created having a better concept and and here's the reality we started with about 250 million dollars our own money Um, And we now have a portfolio that's worth well in excess of a billion dollars in just a couple of years. This Um, stuff really works.
0: If you're lucky enough to be a brand backed by (laughs) Ron Shake, (laughs) you never have to think about raising money again. Um, No, I I just want to ask you really quickly. I think about this way too much but um so you sold Panera for 7.5 billion uh, in 2017 and then you stepped down as CEO I believe in 2018 um and
1: uh, December 31st of 17. so
0: okay okay December five 31st.
1: months after I, I I I sold the company
0: perfect so I think a lot about how many CEOs especially Fortune 500 CEOs end up tying their identity to their job title or career success you have this on like a massive scale where not only did you, you're the founder, you built this company, you were there as CEO for 30 years. And then on January 1st, 2018, you wake up and you're no longer CEO of Panera. Now you're just Ron. Like, how do you reconcile that? Did you have some sort of existential identity crisis or were you fine?
1: Well, if I'm really honest with you, Polina, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I solved it so well, Uh, you know, or, or, or resolved it. I, eight weeks after i stepped down as ceo of panera i went yeah. to brett Schulman, the the ceo of kava and i proposed an idea to him i said there's this company zoe's which is also in the mediterranean space a public company five times larger than kava and those folks at zoe's had come to me to help them figure out how to fix their business how to make it better and i said and i thought to myself you know what the guys at kava The the guys that had founded Kava, Brett and his his co-founders, they were running a far better concept than Zoe's. Mm -hmm. They were much better at being able to bring the concept skills, the food skills, and fix Zoe's than I would. And I said to him, Brett, I got an idea. Let's go buy Zoe's five times larger than you are, right, and convert all of those into Kava. And you will end up being, in almost a hyperphase kind of way, the dominant brand in this category. And he looked at me like i was crazy this was eight weeks after i stepped down for panera and he said well you got to go convince my board and he said by the way would you join my board i said all right all right and before i even attended a board meeting i had to sell them on this idea of acquiring this company five times larger i uh-huh. have to tell you i profoundly respected the board of carbon they saw the wisdom of this they supported it didn't hurt that i agreed to help basically drive the financing of it and 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 bring the the capital in to allow them to make this acquisition but we made that acquisition and as brett put it one night he went to bed he had 50 restaurants and the next morning he woke up he had the dominant brand in in in, in mediterranean he had 300 restaurants wow. he just had to fix them and he went and did it and obviously the sales went up dramatically the brand um like flowers blossoming in the spring became national in 24 different states, and and that strategy actually worked. So I'm not so good,
0: right? I then I
1: you know, and I then spent, um, you know, I then spent um a fair bit of time um, supporting Tate. I had originally bought Tate for Panera. And as part of my, my, my exit mm. agreement, I, I took um, Panera's interest I, out, of, out of Panera. And I, I took that into Act 3, our, our investment vehicle. I had this involvement with Life Alive. And I was back off to the races. And it's an interesting question, Polina. I'm 70. And I'm really asking myself the question, why, you know, and I ask it in this book in the end of it. You know, um, why am I still doing this? because I'm still executing transformations, you know, yeah. and, and listen, I haven't, since the day I, I stepped down from, from Panera, I haven't taken off more than a week. And, and, you know, the last, these last five years have been really intense, a lot going on. I, I went through a divorce in my personal life, um, a lot going on in, 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 you know, more broadly. And I, what I'm going to do I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this book done. I, I turned 70 in December. And it's a gift to myself. I'm going to take a, a sabbatical for a couple of months. And, and really just, you know, focus on all those pieces of my life that, that, have, that have maybe um, I haven't had as much opportunity to, to do um, while I've been so focused on, on doing this. I guess in the end, what really looking back on it, the reason I'm still doing it, because I'm not the guy who stopped doing it. Yeah. Right? What, what I really love doing more than anything else is figuring it out. You know, it goes back to where we started and what you're trying to do in the profile. You're trying to, to look at life experiences and elevate to the generalization. I love that. I love mm-hmm. figuring out what makes these businesses work. How do you, how do you uh, evolve and really deliver for a target customer? I absolutely love watching the people in these organizations grow. There's a better way to run these companies. We actually, I think, know that we have a game plan for that, and it's an amazingly fun, challenging, but to, to actually figure it out and do it. And so, you know, for me, it's like, like, like my hobby. It's like that's you know, awesome. June. Yeah.
0: And my final, final question is: What yes. does the word success mean to you? How do you define it?
1: self-respect in, in simple terms starts with that pre-mortem. You know, have you lived a life you respect? Have you have you have you done things? Have you had an impact that you respect? Have you touched people um, in a way in which you respect? I, I, I just came back from my 45th um, business school reunion last weekend. And one of the things that that we all talked about, what's your legacy? It's not the mm-hmm. buildings that were built with your name on it. It's not the businesses that you built your legacy is the people who you touched and your legacy is the people you've touched and helped them think about things in a different way and then gone on and done great things in their own right and i'm i you know i i feel so good about the number of people that write me and say you know ron you fired me but i learned more working with you than than any other experience um i thank you when i worked with you you know 20 years ago and 15 years ago and you made me think and that to me is is actually what is my legacy and what, what, I, what I, yeah, I know will go on. And what I wanted from this book, this book is actually what I wanted to share. Um, yes, with the world. Yes, with entrepreneurs. Yes, with the next generation of, of Fortune 500 CEOs, how you do it. But most importantly, I wanted it for my kids. I wanted to, to have an opportunity to put in one place the lessons I've learned, at least about business, and 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 share with folks about how you actually do this
0: that's awesome thank you so much ron this was a great conversation thank you polina take care